Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast. Thank you guys for coming back for another episode. Today is a bonus episode. Uh, Trav and I recorded this uh, on the way back home from Colorado. Now, you may have already listened to the recap. Uh, this one, we thought we'd be just a little bit more to the point on 10 tips or 10 takeaways, maybe tactics, uh, that we picked up on while we were out there that we would like to share with you. Uh, maybe you've been before, maybe you haven't, but either way, this might be something that could help you out a little bit. Uh, once again, we're rookies we don't know a whole lot and didn't get an elk but I thought that there were some things there that maybe you could learn from Um, I will give you a quick update though that we hadn't shared yet on the podcast is that uh, 12 hours after we left our buddy Eric who we were there with uh, they got they were staying an extra week Um, he shot a seven by seven bull and so uh, we didn't find that out until after we'd recorded both of these podcasts. We were on the way home. He sent us a text saying you left too early. And uh, it did hurt a little bit. It did hurt that we didn't get to experience that with him, but we were so excited for him. I'll tell that story real quick, and then we'll jump into our, our uh, uh, bonus today. Uh, Eric was up on a hill, and he started to hear some bugles. He was there for an evening hunt and started hearing some bugles off in the distance here and there, and then he heard one close. And so they, they seemed to be kind of fired up a little bit. And so he decided to make a play on the the one that was the closest and started cow calling and the bull seemed excited so he ran in the bull's direction and went about I think 100 to maybe 200 yards his direction and the bull was close so Eric just kind of got on his knees and sat down and this bull all he could see was the rack you know the tine sticking up and this bull makes his approach and comes in and he's facing Eric at 25 yards and Eric pulls back and lets the arrow fly and takes a frontal shot hits this bull felt like he made a pretty good shot but he was going to give him overnight and so the next morning they went in and the bull had actually gone about 300 yards uh, and they tracked the blood uh, but there was Eric had a seven by seven and you can see that picture on our Instagram so thought I'd share that story there was something actually killed from a group of us <laughs> while we were out there other than grouse um, but with that said we're going to go ahead and jump in today's bonus hope that you enjoy it Hey guys, welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast. This is a bonus episode. Uh, Trav and I are coming through Missouri now. We got through Kansas. Kansas is a giant state. It is a giant state. We hit it all in one day, knocked out Colorado and Kansas, and now we are on the, the home stretch here going through Missouri and, and, uh, and into Ohio. Well, I guess we go through uh, Illinois there for a minute. We'll see a whitetail soon. Yeah, we might. We're keeping our eyes, eyes open. We saw a bunch of prairie dogs yeah. and uh, uh, antelope out there in Colorado, so ready to get back home but what we're doing today is we kind of get thinking in our last episode if you listen to that um, we threw out like a lot of stuff that happened over a you know 10 day trip and if you didn't listen to all that um, there's just maybe some tidbits that you might have missed so we thought we'd just kind of bring you through we try to come up with a top 10 list of just tips or things that we learn and once again take this with a disclaimer that we are new people there are probably a lot more things more important um, but these are just some of our observations things that stood out to us as top 10 tips for people that are going out west maybe for the first time uh, you haven't experienced it so thought we'd do that do you have anything before we dive in uh no i mean like i said everybody's experience is different this is just ours that we're sharing with you so all right well here we go uh, and these are kind of in order, but this first one, uh, we're going to start with 10. We're Watch out, one. construction on road ahead. Uh, this first one is maybe, uh, it, it could be like, it could be in the top three, to be honest with you. And number 10 is prepare 
uh, and summer prep and like accountability. So let's talk a little bit about that for a second. All right. Well, so one thing that I heard uh, I heard I think Corey Jacobson say one time, and I think it's worth repeating. He said Cameron Haynes isn't in good enough shape to hunt elk, but that shouldn't be an excuse not to do anything because you got to at least do something to prepare. Um, and what we did, we actually had a group text starting back in May. And we kind of held each other accountable to do uh, workouts, and we were all kind of doing the same workout throughout the summer, which kind of helps. Yeah. What, what were we doing? Like, uh, we do air squats one day. We do like sprints, weighted packs. Um, like there was like a water drinking day. Eric just kind of mixed it up, and I think stretching and yoga. Yeah, and I will say that it was definitely it got me into some of the best shape that I've ever been in. I still wasn't in like like you just said. It, it's so hard to go up mountains and keep your breath. I think one of the biggest things in the preparation that for me was that um, putting extra weight. So my pack I was carrying out there was probably 30 some pounds and I had over 50 pounds in it and I would just go for hikes up hills. I'd find the biggest hill I could find with with more weight than I would actually be carrying and I just walked that hill repeatedly. And I would say that actually strengthened my back and shoulder muscles. um, And that helped me a lot. Yep, and not just physically, but also just kind of doing your research, trying to... I mean, the, the cool part for us is being first-time elk hunters, we actually picked a ridge where there was elk. We found elk sign. We, we just random, not randomly, we, we, we researched it, and so we weren't that far off uh, the beaten path of, of where elk were. And so that felt pretty good, you know, to, to have that. So doing your homework, learning where elk habitat is, north-facing slopes, reading maps... Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more. And uh, calling and talking to the bi- local biologists yep. can give you updates on what the herd's like and everything. And then also learning how to call, uh, I think, is while it didn't play, I mean, it played a role while we were there. Um, it definitely is huge to learn that. I recommend Corey Jacobson, the Bugler. Uh, definitely, you guys know that we're big Paul Medell fans and the things. But, you know, just learning those things and whether or not they'll come into play or not, not just having them up your sleeve is... Not necessarily how to call, but you can also learn what the bull is saying if you hear a bugle. Yeah. They have different They have different bugles that mean different things, so that's kind of good stuff to know. All right, let's keep moving here. Number nine, uh, bring extra arrows. Uh, yeah. Why, why do you need to bring extra arrows? Man, I got into some cubbies of grouse, man, and... And they are hard to stop shooting at. Now, wait a second. I'm just going out there to kill an elk. I yeah. don't have time to shoot grouse. That, yeah, on my way out and on my summer prep, I'm like, I'm all focused on elk. There's no way I'm going to waste an arrow on grouse. But, you know, four or five days into the trip and you run into some grouse, man, you just start flinging arrows. It is fun. It like, is, yeah. I, I mean, people always talk about killing grouse. Randy Newberg is always big about <laughs> He's always grouse hunting. And I'm like, I just don't see the appeal. And then all of a sudden, poof, these, this covey of grouse just run, start going everywhere. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just kind of like, I don't, you ever done one of those where you got the little uh, little gun and the things are moving back and forth like at a carnival or whatever? Yeah. It's just like that. Like these things are popping up and you just got to try and shoot one. And so. I, I do have a couple arrows stuck in trees 30 feet high out in Colorado. If you guys find them, you get a prize. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. All right, so that was a little one yeah, there. Number another, but one other thing, they the they have actually a breast about the size of an average chicken breast, so there is a there is a worthy uh, reward for shooting those. Yep, cool. Um, hey, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, distance and topos. This could be another one that's on the top of the list. We talked about this in the, the podcast. The distance will mess with you out there. Everything is bigger, um, and it's farther away than what you think it is, and so. 
I, I think just try, trying to recognize that as you go in, look at your map and really become familiar with your maps and how far things actually are. Um, if you got a good rangefinder, um, shooting the distance across the valley and seeing, okay, wait, that's not 300 yards over there, that's actually 800 or, or, yards. Oh, wait, my, my, I have a 600-yard rangefinder and it's not registering. That's way farther than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just... And not to say that you wouldn't still go after the bull or whatever, but just knowing, hey, he's not just over there. That first bull we called to, you know, he was not going to come clear down that ravine, clear up the other side, unless, I mean, unless he was by himself and he was lonely. There's just no way. And we didn't realize that he was as far as what he was. So, you know, just rookie mistakes, but if you can avoid that one. Also, topos. I don't know how you can really learn topos other than going out and exploring and um, if you're from the east like we are, maybe I think something I want to do this year is really get out, you know, you get out my Onyx or other maps and just put it in that topo mode and just kind of become familiar with what things look like. What does a bench look like? What does a saddle look like? What's the difference? Um, and trying to understand that. That way you don't get yourself into a situation where you're up on top of a knob and you got to drop 600 feet into the bottom and come up the other side after you've already climbed up to the knob. You know, it kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, I, I would also say, I mean, I've if you've been out west before and it's been a while, you kind of forget how big the mountains are. Yeah. Man, everything looks so much smaller on Onyx. Yeah. <laughs> it's deceiving. So. Yep. All right, we'll keep going. This one gets a little bit, uh, we're getting into a little bit deeper stuff here. Um, number seven, make friends. So, Trav, uh, we talked a little bit about that. Why is that important to do? Um, make friends is important because, I mean, hunting is a, is a social experience. It's some of the fun in it. Um, also, making friends, um, I think it makes it more rewarding to share the experience. You can uh, learn information from the other people. You can share information. And, um, I mean, we're designed to be social as humans anyway, so it's good. Yeah, Matt and Sierra, you know, meeting them... Um, and it wasn't just for the fact that Matt gave us a great hunting spot, you know, so I don't hear me say make friends so that they can help you kill an elk. It's, you know, we, we met some nice people and really liked getting to know them. We were super impressed with uh, Sierra just jumping in and, uh, you know, getting her hands dirty and picking up the, getting the heart out of the elk and all that. But I, I think um, in hunting, you're going to find, especially it seems like without there, everybody's very defensive on giving out information and where they're hunting and where they're seeing elk. Everybody, you know, we'd walk by somebody and they'd be like, ah, did you have any luck today? And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, kind of. You know, you didn't want to, you know, it's almost, you're just being protective, but it doesn't mean that you can't still go out. And, and granted, you don't want to give away maybe your best spots, but you still have the option to go out there and meet some really cool people, some really cool hunters. And I, I, but I've heard some stories, I think, this week too about guys that have been hunting the unit for 30 and 40 years that actually helped uh, point new hunters in the right direction. Yeah, that's right. So Matt got actually pointed kind of in this general direction yeah. by meeting an older hunter named Bob. Yeah. And, you know, Bob just, he hunts solo and he's like a, what, 65 yeah. year old guy. And, yeah. you know, so Bob kind of showed Matt some of the ropes on some things. And so, you know, that's, I think that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. Um, number six, now this one's going to get a little even deeper, is stay friends. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you need to make sure, if you're going out with people, that um, you stay friends with them and that you can do a podcast with them on the way home. Uh, Hangry is a real thing. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> so try not to make decisions while you have walked 12 miles and you're super angry. Um, 
driving, I'd be like driving back someplace, be like, what do you think about this? I'm like, dude, I don't know. I need to go home and get something yeah. to do. We need to get something to eat can't and get think, some sleep. I can't and, even think straight, you know? And it's okay to take a day to hunt alone or, you know, and or, yeah. or just do go to a spot you want to see, they go to a spot they want to see, and then maybe a couple days later get back together and hunt. All right. We need to talk about girl fights. Um, so oh, yeah. before, before this trip, for some reason, you and I, we would kind of get into these little arguments about elk hunting, which was silly because neither one of us really know that much about elk hunting. Right. And so, you know, sometimes you just become so passionate about something and the way that you do it and strategies and stuff like that, and you got so much riding on it that it can affect your friendships a little bit. There's sometimes that you and I have to kind of take a day or a break, even up to the elk hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, during the trip, we actually did pretty well for the most part, I think, on yeah. that. But I think you don't want to let hunting ruin or spoil a friendship it's i mean it's fun it's awesome but it's not worth that and so one of the things i think that we did the most is we were pretty honest with each other Uh, we just kind of got to a point where we're like okay this is how i kind of think about these kind of things and this is the reason i react this way now that might be a little bit deeper than what you and your buddies want to go but it worked for us we just say hey listen whenever i'm whenever i'm trying to explain myself about this i'm really passionate or i'm opinionated or whatever and we just kind of had it out before we went. I mean, human psychology is a deep thing, but everybody, different things make different people tick. Yeah. So. And, and I think it's good to kind of tell each other what your expectations are of the other person. Um, our buddy Eric was going with his dad, and it was stressing him out just because, you know, Eric's a grown man now. He has two grown, two, well, two older daughters. And, you know, so, and Eric actually talked to his dad about what, it, what are your expectations of me on this trip? And I thought that was brilliant because, you know, there's so much, you know, especially if you're going with family, what's, are we going to hunt together every day? Are you expecting me to take you places? Um, you know, what, what do we have going? So I can't, that one could be top three as well. It's just super important that the people that you're going out with, um, you know, try and make friends, stay friends and, uh, keep that, keep that a priority. All right, we're into the top five, and like I said, all of these are just kind of relatively placed. We just threw them together. Five, lodging. Talk about that for a second, Trev. Yeah, so we ended up saving a little bit of money by getting two smaller cabins uh, for five guys. Looking back, we would have rather actually have spent more money to get a big cabin that we all could have been in. It would have just increased the social value of the hunt. Um, it just would have been a little more fun to kick back and relax and have a little more room to chill with all five of us in the same cabin. So it's okay to splurge a little bit on housing uh, to, to get a spot big enough you can all stay together and stay comfortably. I think that's a wise decision. Yeah, and, and everybody, people listening to this, you might be thinking, oh, I want to do a backcountry hunt or I might want to do this or that. And, and you can do that. I think it, you've got to kind of evaluate what are you looking for. Are you looking to get way back in? And we kind of evaluated that at the beginning that there wasn't really a great spot to get clear away from roads in our unit. Our unit was filled with roads and ATV spots. And we didn't have a motorcycle to get back to the deepest, hardest spots. So trying to do this backcountry thing, that is extremely hard. Um, it's brutal when you're in the physicality and the mentality. Of yeah, the trying to take care of a camp. And then if you get back there and there's not elk, then you have to take your entire place up and move it. So what we did was we had a plan to camp if we needed to. So we had all the stuff uh, to do that. But we wanted to have that base of the cabin. So that's, I think, part of the reason that we went a little bit more budget-friendly. Um, and granted, that's something that you might have to do based on your budget. But looking back now, this is one of those things where, for us, 
Um, it would have been good to go, we didn't mention this in our list, but trying to, to go at the same time as our hunting buddies rather than trying to go three days early because we were about spent by the time they got there. So we had to leave them earlier than we planned. And then two, not being able to actually stay with them and in the evenings talk about, you know, strategy, you know, and what we saw that day. And so that was one of those things that maybe we could have done a little bit better. So think about where you stay, lodging and all that. Uh, four, this is uh, one that we're still trying to practice, is healthy eating and hydration. Yeah, how are those uh, waffles and syrup this morning? Okay, so maybe we kind of dropped that a little bit this morning, <laughs> but that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so one of the things we, we talked about on the way out was I did not want to stop and eat fast food and gas station food the whole way out because I know how that makes me feel going out. Uh, Trav, you were the same way? Yeah, I was the same way. And it, you mean it? Fast food tastes great, but man, it just it slug, makes me sluggish. Um, yeah, I, I just can't deny that fact. But I, I'd also think that not only eating but hydration—you want your urine to be clear. Um, it's just going to increase your ability to adapt to the altitude. Um, also, we—I heard from a South Cox. He's a high country mule deer hunter about uh, a supplement called Altitude by Wilderness Athlete. We took that and we also took some hydration packets. And I can't tell you if they helped or not because we didn't have a with or without, we just had it with. And I can tell you, I think it helped because I felt pretty decent the whole time. Yeah, um, along with that, whenever you get out there, you also wanna have food that's gonna be good. Um, you know, there's some guys like, oh, you're gonna be burning like a ton of calories, so eat cheeseburgers and Snickers. And you can do that, but it's gonna, I think, I, I never actually felt that bad from a gut standpoint. I felt like I was eating a pretty balanced, I mean, a lot of protein bars and stuff, but um, the other thing that we did for food is, uh, and if you wanna talk about budget, we didn't really talk about budget, which is extremely important, that should be in our list someplace, but is we didn't wanna go into the restaurant that there was like a little trading post where we were at. We didn't wanna go in there and just eat all the time. Plus, it was like 20 bucks a meal, so yeah. it was a little expensive. So what we, what we did is uh, we did meal prep, so we made freezer meals. And I actually took out a freezer, a small freezer. That partly took up some of our space in our cabin. Yeah. Um, but we made these freezer meals that we would just throw in our little mini fridge in the cabin, and then we'd put them in an Instapot, and we'd have them, or just a slow cooker would have worked. But just have them cooking all day, especially if we knew we were coming back that night. And so I think we did three or four of those, and that was a rewarding thing to come home after a long day of hunting and come back to the cabin, there'd be a meal sitting there. And also um, you did breakfast burritos. Yeah, oh yeah, breakfast burritos. You can make uh, pre-made breakfast burritos, like big old burritos that you just throw in the microwave for two minutes if they're thawed and you're ready to rock and roll so it doesn't take up any time, way more healthier than like a Pop-Tart. Yep. So just stuff that you need to consider because yes, you can eat that stuff for a couple days, three days, and it'd probably be fine, but you need to sustain energy while you're out there. Um, and so that's where you gotta have, you gotta have carbs, you gotta have protein, you gotta have fat, you gotta have all those things. Basically, so. basically um, what I would suggest staying away from is the processed food. So if you can eat things that are whole nuts, whole fruit, uh, real meat, not processed meat, um, stuff like that, uh, I think it will benefit you. Yeah, and uh, one more thing. Make sure you throw in some variety. Uh, I tried to not eat the same thing every day for lunch because that just gets, you know, I can only eat so many tuna wraps. Um, so I threw in like some bagels with honey and peanut butter. Um, you know, I had a bunch of different things that I could make. We actually got lunch meat and cheese and it, it kept in our packs pretty well, actually. It was cold enough. So, you know, variety, spice of life. All right, uh, getting into our top three. Number three, access and ATVs. 
Um, this one's pretty important. If, if you have a unit with a lot of ATV trails, don't think that you're just going to walk. You gotta, you need to have an ATV if you want to stay in the game and get back to the elk. Uh, there, one place I, I heard four bugles. It was like an hour and 15 minute four wheeler ride. I climbed over 2,000 feet in elevation and I never would have heard those bugles if I didn't have an ATV. Guys will tell you, you need to get as far away from those ATVs as you possibly can. Get away from the trails because elk don't like them. And the reality is uh, the one elk that we saw shot was within 400. No, actually, no, it was actually shot within about a couple hundred yards of yeah, an ATV trail. Yeah. yeah, so super close to an ATV trail. The uh, elk that we got into was below an ATV, ATV trail, like within a quarter mile. And the, the four bugles I heard, I was standing on an ATV trail when I location bugled. Yeah. So it just depends on your unit. Um, whenever you're looking at your unit, try and get an overall picture of how what are the ATV trails. First off, look at the map. This goes back to maps. Learn what ATV trails look like. Um, Onyx will tell you the difference between a four-wheeler trail and a motorcycle trail and a walking trail and one that you can get a truck up and just learning that is so important because you got to figure out how you're going to get there and you might say well I'm just going to be Cam Haynes and, and a hike back in there well reality is some of the places that we went to you would have had to walk five miles before you ever got into like where you could hunt you know it's just wasn't elk territory so I think having your transportation, if you can borrow some, Trav, you had to borrow a four-wheeler, yeah. four and I got mine fixed up for it because I didn't want it shutting down, and it still ended up having trouble. But think about how you're going to access. Some people treat, use horses, and that's not a bad way to go. It's just a lot more work, I think, trying to take care of your animal. But um, And maybe you get a unit that's all trails, and you can hike it. Awesome. But that wasn't our case, so that's why we throw that out there. Really think about how you're going to get into these areas, and how are you going to, you know, get away from the other hunters yeah. uh, number two Trav this one was yours and uh, it is oh. your vacation okay so here's the deal um, I grind I grinded the first few days and I realized that I was I was getting tired I was getting worn out and I realized that I did not have to continue to beat my head against the wall that I was actually on vacation so I took a couple mornings slept in drank coffee I drove the four-wheeler and saw some absolutely amazing views I um, went into this town and went to a coffee shop and just kind of explored local archery shops, 3D ranges, and bought a fishing pole to go fishing. Um, I, I took some easy days and went to some easy spots, easy to access elk spots. I actually got into grouse on one of my easy days. Um, so you don't have to continue to grind and physically uh, wear yourself down um, if you don't want to. I, I learned that that um, about halfway through the trip that it was more important to enjoy myself than to kill an elk um, yeah. and that's kind of that's kind of where I went with that and I I had a good time yeah and, and I think the flip side of that is it was my vacation and my vacation I chose to kill myself <laughs> and I think it's up to you I, I think don't feel this pressure like you have to do it a certain way you know um, there's like people think people like would probably talk talk smack about a person that sleeps in or whatever and it's like no it's, it's my vacation it was your vacation and i actually i felt i hope i honored that because yeah, you did. because it's uh i realized that pretty quickly that this wasn't your cup of tea this wasn't what you wanted to put all your effort into and i just want to make sure you had fun and i did and so yeah. and i think that's that's super important because if you come back home and you did not enjoy yourself that's that's no good that's that's not a vacation that's work and um so 
Uh, number one, we'll kind of uh, we'll hit that right now, and it's it's kind of goes hand in hand with that. Is number one for us? We got the thing about it is determine what success is. Uh, determine what success is for your trip. Um, for me, that changed over time as I got more and more prepared, or at least I thought so in my mind. My goals changed. I went from I just wanted to hear a bugle, like like that was so elementary, like basic. But that's what I wanted to do from day one going out here is I wanted to hear an oak bugle in the woods. I don't know why, um, but it's just been one of those things since I was a kid. My dad talking about it, and I don't know if he actually ever heard a bugle going, you know, second rifle season. But I just think that morphed into, okay, now I want to hear a bugle, but I want to play with the bugle. I want to get in there and do some calling. And then somewhere along the lines, uh, it turned into, I want to kill an elk. And obviously everybody going out there wants to kill an elk. But you have to balance that dream and the reality of how hard it is. You know, for our unit, it was 20% of hunters got that opportunity. And we felt pretty confident. I mean, I think we felt like we were probably going to be 60, 70% chance in our own minds that we were going to get it done. And when that doesn't happen, it, it, it can once again kind of lead to a spoiled vacation where you feel all disappointed and dejected. So whenever I look back on this trip, I actually feel pretty, pretty happy about it because one, we found elk um, in spots where we looked. Two, I heard a bugle the second day. Uh, and three, I, I got into that calling game, man. I got super close, called myself into a bull, and it was just, it was everything I wanted. It was right there, everything I wanted. And if I look at it from that way, I mean, it was absolutely a successful hunt. Got to spend time with friends. So, so I, I would say for me, I'm a spoiled Midwest whitetail hunter who fills a lot of tags every year and I like a target rich environment so going out here my goal was to kill an elk that's why I came to Colorado and I quickly realized that was going to be quite the challenge and so my 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 goal kind of morphed into more um, as the trip went on enjoying the scenery enjoying time with friends um, actually just relaxing and uh, being in awe of the mountains that surrounded me maybe enjoying the Wi-Fi and <laughs> and it actually really made me appreciate how good the hunting is in the Midwest with whitetails. So, um, it kind of actually also, uh, I learned a little bit, a little bit about myself. I, I see myself now more as a archer, a, a 3D archer, and more of a uh, Midwest whitetail hunter. And that's kind of what my identity is in hunting. Um, I just don't know if the, the out west hunting is for me. So. All right. So that's our kind of our top ten list. Something that I just that came up throughout that I thought we could just kind of a bonus to the bonus draft yeah. is uh, ways to save money. Uh, might be something that we could throw together there at the end. Any thoughts that come to mind on? Well, I mean, I was just saying for the housing part. I mean, you got when you're splitting the housing with multiple guys, it really knocks the price down quick. Yeah, um, that's a big deal. Also, um, I would try to go buy your food ahead of time. Yeah, um, take a cooler with you. Buy your lunch meat ahead don't, of time. Don't don't. Don't eat out every don't night. Go, yeah, don't eat out every night. And don't go to Walmart uh, whenever you get out there and try and come up with your food list. Like, really try and... Like, what I did is I went into our local grocery store 
and I knew I wanted protein bars, so I would just, every time they were on sale over like the last couple months, I would go in there and I'd buy protein bars when they were on sale, and you could get like 10 for $10 or something. You don't have to buy $5 Cliff bars, so. Also, take your coffee maker with you. If, yeah. If, if you've got electricity available, take your, your home coffee maker with you. Yep. Um, uh, this is kind of a basic tip, but borrow stuff. Yeah. Um, I had a buddy who had a Garmin InReach Mini. I just put it on Facebook. I was like, does anybody have a Garmin InReach Mini? And of course, everybody was trying to give me their Garmin that for their, you know, driving down the road. I was like, no, this is one of those. I wanted to be able to stay in touch with my family um, and if we didn't have cell service. And that little tool, I mean, it, it helped me stay in contact with my wife and my brother and some other folks. And it was just, I thought it was very handy. Um, now, granted, if you go out and buy one, they're like $300 and you got a $60 subscription. But what it allows you to do is to text um, you can't call, but you can text even whenever you don't have cell service. It uses satellite. And so I borrowed one of those from a friend of mine. I also borrowed a nice sleeping pad. Of course, didn't end up using that. Um, borrowed a jet boil. I borrowed, um, I borrowed a lot of different things. Some walkie-talkies. Those came in yeah. handy a couple times when you and I would split ways just to be able yeah. to communicate. Um, and, so. and one, one other thing I was thinking is... Uh, frame packs you can spend anywhere from a hundred dollars to well over a thousand dollars on a frame pack we got the alps frame packs and they did great for us yeah they're pretty much a budget frame pack i uh, mean you don't got to do not have to break the bank on your frame pack um i think the alps do great yeah i bought like the mine's the commander x i think it is and it's like it's not even really got the shelf on it um, I kind of wish I had the shelf a little bit, but I mean, it really, the price difference wasn't that much. I could have gotten the bigger one, uh, but it worked just fine. I, for packing out that uh, cow, now I don't, I never got experience with a bull, but I'm sure it's a little I, bit heavier, but got, it, it worked. I got the one with the shelf, so when I get back east, I can pack my 50 pound bags of corn. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So, um, uh, you know, you probably want to make sure you have a decent pair of boots. You don't have to have top dollar. I have Danner boots, and those. I wore that and some smart wool socks to try and help uh, prevent. I never, I had some hot spots, but I never got um, blisters. What, so that's one thing I did important. with my boots. I have a decent pair of boots too. And a couple weeks before the trip, I went to Walmart and box, bought some Dr. Scholl's insoles, put them in there, and it just increased the comfort uh, right there at the last minute before the trip. Yeah. Um, you know, things to spend money on. I guess we could talk about that for a quick second. We'll wrap this up. Um, I, I, you know, today there's a lot of push. You can go out there and hunt in blue jeans and flannel shirt and be successful. Um, for me, I wanted to have something that I would also be able to use back home. And so I had first light uh, merino wool stuff. I can say what's cool about that is I only had to wash it one time and it still doesn't stink. Um, it, that stuff is absolutely, merino wool just does not stink and you can wear it over and over and over again whereas my normal hunting stuff i would have had to spend time washing and, and it also i mean i think i you know the temps would be it fluctuates so much it was like 30 some mornings and it'd go up to 70 75 so having you know I, whether or not you need a layering system as people say you just need to have for me i wanted to have a couple of those items and that way i had like a, a cheaper black ovis t-shirt that was merino wool i had a first light long sleeve shirt and then the pants um and all that so that was you don't have to have that that's something to splurge on but i felt like it did make the trip better yeah i think smart wool merino wool whatever you want to call it it's expensive but it's worth the, <coughs> worth the money and uh 
I would I would recommend it if anybody's thinking about it. Yep. Um, anything else that you'd splurge on? Uh, good broadheads, man. Yeah. Good sharp broadheads. Um, I'm just a. I just know not not all broadheads are created equal. You want to check the sharpness of your broadheads, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah. Um, game bags. We splurged on those. Now, granted, we didn't get to use ours. Um, and with game bags, I guess my thought. This is my thought process. People, there's people like, oh, I just use pillowcases, and there's other guys that get like cheesecloth material, um, so they kind of have like these stretchy ones. Um, what I've learned, at least from what I read online, was you can get these synthetic bags, and they do a really good job of keeping flies off your material. And we noticed that as soon as Matt shot his cow and we got the quarters out, there was flies and bees like immediately. And luckily, he was close to the ATV road, relatively close. And we got the, his meat out pretty quickly. But if you were back in a ways, you know, and you had that scenario, your meat could be out there hanging uh, for a really long time. And so my thought was, you spent 600-some bucks on a tag. And you spent all this money on gear and all this money on travel. Why would you go cheap on meat care? Right. You know, that to me is, you know, I don't want to do pillowcases. Yes, do they work? Yeah, but they. it's just proven that cotton does not allow the breathability. It's going to increase the amount of flies and mag. I just don't, I'm kind of a stickler on keeping my meat extremely uh, good. So, you know, I, I just don't, I just don't want to mess with anything spoiling. And, and so. you want to have some kind of lightweight rope, like paracord or something that you can hang it up so you can start cooling right away. Yeah. So anything else comes to uh, mind as a tip? I think that's the main things that come to my mind. That's so. about it. I mean, that's, that's, that's all I can think of. All right, well, there you go, guys. A little bonus episode for you. Kind of tried to keep that short. Hopefully, those are just some helpful tips. If you guys have any questions, uh, probably need to ask somebody else (laughs) (laughs) because that knows what they're doing. This is my second trip, Trav's first, and we're still learning. But just thought those are some things that popped in our minds as just quick tips that might help you on your next trip. Thanks for listening, and remember to shed shed the the light. light.